All right, I want to give you, first of all, a, the philosophy shot, okay? <laughs> My goodness. Woke me up. In your sheet, which I've called, what do I call it, something? Segments of musical philosophy. I'm going to go to page five, please. Page five. As I was studying this for myself in this very building with my assistant pastor, David Mitchell, in those days, we discussed a lot of these things and um, wondering where we started to build a biblical understanding of music. And in listening to one of the, um, I think it was the, um, the whole series on music by uh, the folks in America, Garlock and Company, um, somebody made a statement, said, all good music is melody. And I thought, ooh, that's interesting. All good music is melody. And then, of course, the verse came to mind, Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, which on top of page 5, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So we're commanded to sing in singable melody. Now, the Greek students will rush to the word melody and say, well, this is a bit broader than just the leading uh, note of some song, um, but it, it, even as it's generally music, it's singable music. You try singing to yourself in three parts. It's not possible, okay? So the simplest of um, standards here is singable melody. So I thought if that's the case, and I've, I discovered, as I said last night, that melody has in it also inherent harmony and rhythm. There's a trinity there. And every change in rhythm or harmony or all interacts and changes the pulse structure and the whole thing works together. You can't have one without the other. But the question came to my mind is, I wonder if melody for the Eskimos is different from melody for the uh, Western world or you know, different nationalities. Because if that's the case, then it if it's not universal, then that whole system breaks down. So I went eagerly to the Grove Musical Dictionary, and I don't know, I do know the Lord gave me that whole set. It was incredible. It was about 20 volumes of beautiful bound, covered books that I used to go to the library to consult. And one day I went in there and I said, what have you done with the Grove? They said, oh, it's not there. I said, well, what have you done with it? He said, it's out the back. I said, well, what's going to happen to it? He said, it'll probably go to the booksellers. I said, well, how am I going to consult this work in the country when you do away with a resource like that? And they said, well, do you want to buy it? I said, I don't think I could afford it. She said, $50. I said, I'll take it. <laughs> and they wheeled the whole lot out, volumes and volumes of it. So as I dug through the... I said, Lord, why have you given this to me? So... In the process, I looked at the Grove and I found under Melody, did a lot of reading, and this little excerpt will help you to understand that God has put Melody in the heart of all men and one, little children all over the world reveal the same harmonic sense. Read this carefully. Studies of the spontaneous chant of little children, very little children, show a preponderance of simple musical intervals, particularly third, also octaves, perfect fifths and fourths. Given the task of choosing out of four given alternatives a suitable end note to an eight-bar phrase, the majority of seven-year-old children will choose a note of harmonic stability, and particularly if indicated the tonic. This applies equally to children with and without musical instruction. So we say from that that little children living in India in a Hindu society do not naturally sing in the so-called 22 microtones of the Hindu music. Have you heard the sitar? 
that you're supposed to hear all these 22 microtones. We have uh, simply sem semitones and tones. So little children don't naturally sing that, but they will acclimatise to it and become part of their culture. It's a bit like taking a first ship, and I hope you never had to do that, of alcohol, they go, there's something wrong with that, and that's the correct response. But after using the narcotic for a while, they get a taste for it and become addicted to it. And I believe the same thing happens with music. So therefore, music, melody is a universal language. Now, the Grove goes on to say there are countless pentatonic melodies found geographically from China to Appalachia and historically from Gregorian chant to Debussy. In the absence of Western tonal harmony, quartal melodic patterning has spawned the bulk of melodic activity from the dawn of history and the four corners of the earth. If you're looking for a simple pentatonic scale, just play the black notes on the keyboard. You can make some nice... So, boy, we've got a genius... scale, pentatonic tune and there's apparently thousands of them so there's Amazing Grace and it's a very simple tune um, follows the, a pentatonic scale, very melodic so with that I could say God is not silent about music, God has placed melody in the heart of all men so that the redeemed of every nation may praise him with one voice melody is the test of all good music and in the simple melodic, melody resides the laws that govern harmony and rhythm. From this simple universal absolute, we can build a biblical philosophy of worship music that will glorify God. So I thought I'd give that to you. Now, I do want to get this clip across because in serious art music, when you study that, and some of you have studied it more than I have, at uh, conservatorium and university, you see something played out in Western history of music, which we live with every day. Um, without going into the Gregorian chant, the, the Middle Ages, uh, then when the Reformation came, you can't separate that, the Baroque period was greatly influenced by the Reformation, and as somebody said, had there been no Luther, there would have been no Bach. And this affected broadly the art and the music of the day and tremendous rivers of creativity flowed in those two areas of music and, and art. And when you get uh, a God-centred view of music, it doesn't cramp your style. In other words, if we've got a biblical philosophy or standard of music for our church, it should give a tremendous scope for people to write and to uh, execute music which is good and great abundance. If we get the settings wrong, we will be cramping and actually excluding some music which should not be excluded. So this seems to be holding up fairly well. The principle is 6D... Autonomy in music tends to, become, to lead to chaos. There are intrinsic laws in the trinity of music. The law of melody, like many fields of science, have been discovered and codified. When these laws are obeyed, music is made. When these laws are broken, music is marred. The rise and decline of serious art music over about a thousand years illustrates this. From Bach and from the classics, we come to the uh, borderland of the Romantic period. Richard Wagner promoted the idea of ascetic autonomy. He did not want rules. He wanted infinite melody. Do you see a theologically a problem there? He wants to be God in some ways. He wants to write infinite melody. 
And then he talked of floating tonality. Debussy followed, wanted music that was untrammeled by rules. The result was the haunting atonality of Stravinsky and Webern and the chaotic noise music of John Cage. John Cage literally mutilated a beautiful grand piano in Berkeley, used his chance music to draw people, usually young people, students, to Buddhism. The result of autonomous freedom is not neutral, but are powerful motivators to adopt the same worldview that spawned them. So listen to those results. Now, let's see how we do this. We just press the Once button. Once you go to the rock music CCM, there's not much more you can do with it. No. Thanks. You only have so much crashing and bashing, and the creativity goes out, and it uh, saps the whole melody principle there. So look at these from a two-fear. The beauty of it, you see, compared to the art of... Um, um, you'll see the art of Picasso, etc., which is very fragmented. You'll find that autonomy, what Wagner wanted, autonomy always brings chaos fragmentation and death of the art itself. Yes. Right, we'll see how we go. Powerful scripture, you can leave it up there for a bit if you like. Let that sink into you. The invisible things of him from the creation are clearly seen. But when they did not like to retain God in the knowledge, when they suppressed this, God gave them over, and the wrath of God is poured about or merited on them. All right, we're going to shut off the that. We're going to have a, something a bit later uh, in that, which I can give you the number for. Maybe you can find it for me. Um, sorry? You want it before this session's out? Probably not. Okay, well, maybe we'll do the second section. Okay. All right, so we've got to keep everybody happy. So we've got to go back to the musicians again. Um, there was uh, uh, some things I wanted to share with you, and I think I'll get this through, because my wife said you'd be sure to tell them about this Jewish lady who had discovered the... Uh, well, had put forward the Coronomy pictures, Vontura, I think her name was. Her book was in French and translated into English. I thought, I'll see if I can get that little paperback somewhere around the world. And I found one copy. They wanted $500 for it. So I said, well, not just at the moment. Um, but there was one copy in the college library in Sydney. And I used to go to bed with it the night before I had to teach there and read this book. So, 
sneak of preview there. But anyway, um, what this lady's been doing, or has been doing, she's now dead, she discovered, well, began to investigate the Masoretic texts of the Old Testament, which, from which I understand we get our most conservative texts for the King James Bible. And in these Masoretic texts, there are different sort of little hieroglyphics and, and, and signs put over the top of the Psalms that people say, what are these? What do they mean? Does it mean that the, the reader should breathe here or do that? But there's more complex than that. And she started investigating this and discovered and broke a code and found that these signs, which are similar to Chronomy, were telling the musicians what degree of the scale to sing. And she actually uh, decoded this so she could say that this is a, a minor scale or it was a particular form of that scale. And then she eventually had little choirs singing music off the score of the scriptures. Now I find that interesting. Um, God seems to have brought into play the ability with DNA to, for the Jewish people to find out what tribe they're coming from as the database is increased. So people can say, like one man on the screen, what's his name? Amir Safadi said, I'm, I'm from the tribe of Judah. <clears throat> so it would be interesting, wouldn't it, if this is really a genuine, you know, proves to be a genuine uh, uh, antique <clears throat> version of the songs. It could be we're singing the tunes in the millennium that David had produced. It's possible. It still be have to be proven. But <clears throat> it's a fascinating story there uh, I wanted to get across to you. So when you see Chironomy, the other thing too that with the Chironomy in the opening of I think it's uh, Chronicles, where David is setting up the, <clears throat> the singers. He's got three different main singers. There's Asaph and Hunan and someone else, and then their families are mentioned. And then three times it says, all these are the family of Asaph under the hands of their father. In two more verses down, all these under the hands of their fathers. The third one, all these, under that, you think, well, that just means that they're conducting. <clears throat> but it seems to indicate the chironomy that possibly was being used at that time there to notate the music. <clears throat> so tuck that away. It's exciting, interesting thoughts there. Now, another thing to catch up with, with the song leading and the Anna Cruises, um, somebody has... Uh, got a long memory and they said you trained us differently pastor and that's quite true so I'm going to give you what you can do with a um, how to beat something if you if you really backs to the wall and you don't have to do it let's go to the song of 170 sorry not 172 um, were you there when they crucified my lord 240 in the hymn book please and <clears throat> could we have a pianist who we got is Sharice here? Are you able to leave your job and come and play for us? Thank you. <clears throat> 240, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Now, while she's coming, you've got the music open. What is the time signature telling us? How many beats in the measure, please? Four. What are the animals we're counting? Quarter notes, okay. So look at the very first part of a measure there. How many beats in that measure were under the words, were you? There's two. So we've got to have two beats before we come down on our first main beat on the word there. Now, I'm suggesting that probably if you wanted to refine things, you could simply do a P because that's a two-beat pattern. Where you would put it... Were you then break into the four? You've got to do something for those two. But if you think I don't know where, where, how many I need, we'll just stand up there and beat it like this. Were you there when they? So you can just do that if you need to. Okay, we've taught that for a long time. But if you want to be more sophisticated, were you there? Or if you've got three beats, uh, you can do the three and then break into the four, whatever it is. 
So let's try it, shall we, with the other method of just simply waving like this, okay, with a bit of a bounce like that. So we're going to do two bounces, were you there, and into your cross pattern of four, okay. We have a deduction, please, and we'll try and do it in strict time with a preparation beat. Here you go. Thank you. <laughs> Again, okay. Finishing, you bring your arm up because the congregation, while you're still raising your hand, tends to think he wants us to keep singing. If you go, were you there when they crucified my Lord? You've got to stop on you. So, when they crucified my Lord, just arc up like this, and, that, and they can get an idea of how long you want to take, and then a little, little zippy like that at the end. I wouldn't do too much of this sort of stuff. It's, I don't know whether they're icing cakes or what are you doing, but I've been wondering about different styles, really. Some are doing washing down here, hand washing. Others are doing you know, all that sort of stuff. So, <clears throat> all right, that's good. So, uh, let's see now. Let's go to the hymn endings on page 17. We've already covered that a bit, but we'll read what's read. And we'll turn to 478, please. It is well with my soul. 478. <clears throat> Looking at 478, what time signature? 4-4. Four, four. So we're beating a four pattern and we're counting quarter notes. The first measure there, or part measure, how many beats in it? One. So you just really have to do one wave or however you want to do it. <laughs> okay. And then you're into the four-beat pattern. So we're going to particularly look now at the hymn endings. I'm going to read this. The song leader needs to be able to communicate to the congregation how long the last note should be held and when it should be cut off. If the hymn ends in strict time, then a simple cut-off signal in the shape of a small hook, is immediately added to the last beat of the song. Though this hymn is in 4-4 time, the last note ends on beat 3, to which we add the cut-off signal. So, well with my soul, 2, 3, and then scoop it up. So wherever it ends. We said before that the anacrusis at the beginning, which is one count, when added to the part measure at the end, add them up, you've got 4-4. Four, four. So this song ends on, a, on beat three, but you can hold the congregation by simply coming up with an arc and then cutting them off when you think they've gone blue. Okay. <laughs> okay. So keep the palm of the hand facing the congregation, make the cutoffs signal small not you could do that I guess it's alright alright so you got your shot In the fin- if the final note of the hymn is to be extended beyond its full value then the song leader can indicate this fact by adding the rising arc to the final beat pattern we suggest that this rising arc sweeps steeply towards the right hand side of the conducting window as long as the song leader keeps hands rising, congregation seems to instinctively know 
the notice to be hurled on longer. The cut-off hook is added to the top of the rising arc. The song leader can control the duration of the last note by two things. Firstly, by the speed at which the hand rises to the top of the conducting window and secondly, by the exact moment the cut-off signal is given. The cut-off signal at the end of this arc leaves the congregation, no doubt, when to end the last notes. So congregations love to broaden out the last two measures of it is well with my soul. So let's... um, Sing it. Uh, let's uh, use our hand motions. You haven't hit anybody in the face yet, so do you want to keep doing that? Okay. Moderate it a bit so it's appropriate to your section. <clears throat> but um, so don't forget when peace or when peace like a river. Okay, thank you. An introduction, a strict time. And we'll try. like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is pause on the end that little bird's eye thing there is a pause so we tend to hold that note well my soul so this is like a new start so do two of the again, all right? like a so when it is well it's like an anacrusis here we go ready it is we go to the chorus you can do that if you like uh, Pick it up before there, if you like. It is well with... It is well, it is well With my soul, with my soul It is well, it is well So you don't need to beat the last one, just control it with your hand. Very good. You're doing great. I want to read the page 18, Helps for Congregational Pianists and Organists. Congregational singing is essential that the song leader and the keyboardist have a good working musical understanding. That's why we're using the two together. When song leader and pianist are not synchronised, there's a loss of musical energy and the congregation will not be able to sing to its full potential. These notes before you have a twofold aim. First, to give the pianist some practical helps in congregational accompaniment. Secondly, to help the song leader towards a more efficient working musical relationship with the pianist. General congregational hymn playing. Hymns are generally arranged for voice parts and not a piano. These voice parts from low to high are soprano, high to low, are soprano, alto, tenor and bass. Vitally important that the pianist learns to play the tenor with the right hand and the bass note doubled as an octave in the left. I know it's arduous, but just stay at it and it will have great dividends and eventually you'll just be able to play any hymn in that form without even thinking. This arrangement will immediately give the pianist more commanding sound and will give the congregation more confidence to sing. If a certain tenor note is too low to reach it with the right hand, raise it an octave. This will usually place that note somewhere within the compass of the right hand. We've already been through that. Notes top 20, the most important part of congregational piano accompaniment is the introduction. If the introduction fails and the whole hymn gets off to a bad start, typical length of an introduction would be four to eight bars of music. An effective piano introduction needs to achieve the following. Why do we have an introduction? One, because the introduction needs to set the right tempo. Sometimes the pianist rushes erratically through the introduction like a bolting horse. <clears throat> if the song leader cannot pull her up, because they're mainly pian- lady pianists here, 
then the congregation is heading for a rough ride. The introduction sets a tempo which is suited to the whole hymn. And you have to think about that because your song leader is in your hands, really. If you set a fast pace, he's going to have to say, look, I'm sorry to pull this up. <clears throat> I would say err on the slower side because what I've found in our independent Baptist churches where a pianist may not be so competent, they try to make up for uh, a lack of fullness in the keyboard by speed. So they don't want the hymns to drag, but if you can learn to spread your hymn right across the keyboard, it can have a grand and a great uh, foundation to the singing. And you've got to remember, like reading the Bible, there's such a thing as pulpit speed for reading the Bible. In other words, you may read in quiet time quite quickly, but you need to read at a slower speed when you read the Bible so that people can hear and take in the Word of God. So with your music, err a little most, because I'm saying this because in visiting many churches and seeing them, they tend to rush the hymns and people, the congregation cannot sing back-to-back consonants. They've got to have to round out the vowels, A-E-I-O-U, see. Yes. And that seems to pick up pace yes. as it goes until the last 4,000 metres. Yes. It'll slow it down, it'll hold it back. Yeah, so how, how would pianists know, for example, to get variance? <clears throat> well, it's, as I was saying, it's a, it's a judgment call on the pianist's part because we don't know what she's going to do. I'm just saying to the pianist, err a little bit on the slower side. The song they might say, let's pick this up a bit. Uh, on the second verse but at least you've got all the congregation but if you're just racing around and then there's very little time to even round off or, st- or at each end of each stanza or chorus and it bolts straight back and I'll talk about that in a minute around for another rap so there must be time to round out the vowels of the lyrics if you are a highly adrenalised pianist rein in your tempo to a steady trot I've speak to myself Somewhere between presto and lento. (laughs) My advice is to err on the slow side. The introduction sets the right pitch, not in the right tempo, but the right pitch for the hymn. The pitch of a hymn is determined by the key in which it is written. If your song leader has a lower baritone voice, you may be able to help him by finding a hymn book that has lower settings. So if you have a... a man who may be the second man, assistant pastor, and also perhaps have a fairly large music portfolio. I know it's cost a lot of money, just buy another whole set of hymn books, but think about it. The Great Hymns of the Faith, for instance, edited by John Peterson, has some lower settings of well-known hymns. Alternatively, some hymns that are written in sharps can easily be read in flats, if you want to experiment with that as well. Alternatives, for example, Blessed Assurance, number 463, is written in the key of D, which has two sharps. The pianist could read this hymn directly from the hymn book in the key of D flat, which has five flats, and this would drop the pitch just one semitone. So it's not a lot, but it does help. But everybody's got to be on the same page. Yes, sir? Yeah, it's a bit hard for pianists Sorry, a bit hard. Yeah, no, when you've got an orchestra, it's not going to work. No, thank you, Mr. Trumpeter. <coughs> okay, number three, the introduction needs to indicate the right key for the first syllable of the hymn. This is important. Hymns usually moderate, modulate through a series of chords. In some hymns, these harmony sequences are more complex than others. Since good harmony embodies the logic of music, the gospel pianist needs to complete the introduction on a chord that will logically point back to the beginning of the hymn. Any old chord will not do. Now, that's a a very common failing, and I'm not critical, because uh, people will do an introduction and they'll end on a chord somewhere, which is somewhere modulated down the whole series, and and it, it doesn't link back to the beginning, and people what do we do? And some they go, dang, give you the key, though. Well, it sort of failed. If you can work out how to finish your song on a, uh, 
uh, usually the pianist will complete the introduction on a one chord, a five chord, or you can turn that into a five seven chord. These chords are triads built on the first and the five fifth degree of the of the scale. So in other words, you you're creating a, a five to one, or going straight back to one. Occasionally, a V plus, which is an augmented, is effective in some choruses. It wouldn't be appropriate to all, but. Uh, a one chord always be found at the end of the hymn because it finishes on the one chord. It finishes in the keynote. So you, you can be safe of this. You know that if you want to get the pitch right and lead straight back in, you can play the last line of the chorus. The problem that is that uh, the song needs to also to identify the motive. We'll talk about that in a minute. So these chords would be found at, sometimes at the end of the stanza just before the chorus or in the body of the hymn also. <clears throat> For example, introductory ending to uh, a one chord, Joy in Serving Jesus, um, you can play... Yeah, thanks. I hope you're not deserting me. <laughs> um, let's turn to 619. Okay, joy in serving Jesus. To play the chord that corresponds to these words, there is joy, joy, joy that never shall depart, which is the end of the thing. Now, my thoughts on this one is on the final syllable part, repeat the F chord in strict time as shown in the score and then start at the very beginning of the hymn without losing the beat. Now, in that particular song, it's, um, I think it was possibly fairly reminiscent of what the opening motive would be enough to identify it, but let's read over the page. Um, okay, we're now talking about <clears throat> we're fine-tuning the ends of the thing. So in the top of page 21, I've got that scored out. Would you, could you play that for me, the top of the notes there, page 21, please? Thank you. Now the whole thing, so Okay, now what I've got in here is a written nuto. So we're going to go, um, if I to sing the words. There is joy, joy, joy that never shall depart. So from the A tempo, which is the time set, to a written uto, which is like putting the handbrake on hard, we're going to slow that down because that helps the congregation to sink. So you can actually help. Although the time is strict, we're going to put the brake on it a little bit and slow it down a bit and you can bring your whole congregation with you. I'll read what it says. Please note the retinuto at the very end of the introductory bars. This Italian word means held back and indicates a sudden slowing down. This will give your song leader and the congregation a little more time to come in on the first syllable of the song. Once everyone is synchronised with the first downbeat, the A tempo indicates quick recovery of the desired tempo. When song leader and congregation have learned to work together, this retinuto does not need to be so extreme. So we're talking about introductions here and how we get all the congregation together. So I'm going to ask Therese now to just play straight from the hymn book this time. It'll probably be better than the way I've scored it there. Um, in strict... Da, da, dum, 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 do, di, 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 di. See how you go. Dum... tempo, right? So just slowing the bus down a bit enables everybody to jump on board without stopping. You don't want to stop. You want the thing to go right through. Introduction, 
a bit of a retinue so everybody can get on board and jump on it as it's moving and then bring it back to speed fairly quickly as you go through. Does that make sense? Yes? Just some congregations do actually have a, quite a pause at the end yes, of Yes, they do. Is that of <clears throat> I think that's... No, I think it's a, probably a good traditional thing to do. Uh, I remember when <clears throat> I was first a young person um, playing the piano for church, uh, some of the older folks complained. They said, Ian, you would just... We don't have it. We haven't got a chance to get a breath, so we're just going back to back uh, stanzas to all the way down, and never a break. So I've got this written somewhere here. I can't think where, but don't be afraid of a little pause even there at between the stanzas. Okay, sorry. Yes, it might just be a breath and then back again. So, but again, this is sort of the ritonieto pulled to a stop. And that little pause is quite effective um, because it does, does give people the ability to, to all get on board for the next round. Okay. So, <clears throat> let's look at uh, 265. Now, it's good for the song leaders to hear this too because then you can help each other, you see, if you know what we're aiming for. 265, Christ arose. Play the first verse of the hymn, which takes you to Jesus, my Lord. Now, let's see what we said here. Um, These, play the first verse, these eight bars end on, on G, which is the fifth chord in the key of C. I would suggest that you simply add the seventh to make it a, a dominant seventh chord. This V7, 5-7, will naturally resolve on a one, which is the present key in the example in which the key um, is written. So we're looking now, trying to help the pianist to identify the motive, which is the, the opening little musical idea. And, but also setting the tempo and also getting you into the right key without a break. All right. So, <clears throat> all right, let's try that, shall we? We're going to come through to the word Lord and then we'll go into the word low in the grave again, again because that chord should, even though it's a five chord, should go back into the tonic. Let's see how we go. I hope we're right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, give me an introduction, which is basically your whole first verse, to Jesus my Lord, and then we'll go, you'll, we'll get them singing. straight in there even though it's a five chord you see that you don't have to come back because sometimes people will do that and then they'll come back and they'll just hit the excuse me interrupting um, because it's going to naturally lead back. So bear that in mind. It doesn't have to be the tonic, but if you really want to be on the safe side, you know that the last bit... will always come back to the keynote that the whole thing's in. So that's always safe, but you don't have to always do that if you've got a good, solid... Harmony in the fifth there, fifth chord, you can use that. Go straight in. Does that make sense, Mill? Okay, she's nodding. So. Oh, sorry. No, we're looking for an introduction. 
We were trying to work out an introduction for the pianist so they can set the tempo and identify the first motive and uh, set the pitch. Those three things are needed. Sorry? Sorry? I, oh, did I say five seven? Did, does that going to work? You can. I think it maybe works. Subject to change without notice. perfect cadence in a sense. So that will work, a five or a five seven. The five is just a chord built on the fifth note of the scale, which is a G in some form. If you want to put the seventh in, that leads very much to the keynote. Does that make sense? Any other questions there? All right, that's good. All right. What we're looking for is a smooth continuum. If you've got to come back and you get to this point in the hymn where, where you're right out in left field somewhere as the hymn is modulated out and you think, oh, how do I get back to there? And so they go, twang and doing, you know, so they get it back there. But if you can at least play the last couple of measures or three of the whole thing, you know you will be in the key. Or if you can find somewhere midstream a five chord chord built on the fifth of the scale, so this is in the key of C, there's no sharps or flats, so C, D, E, F, G. If you've got a G there, you can use the G chord or G7, which is sort of um, gives it more urgency to go back to that, and you're going to have a continuous thing. Okay, I hope that's good. Right, so four, the introduction needs to identify the opening motive or the small musical idea of the hymn. For example, I would suggest in some cases to use a split introduction. Just go to 173. We were doing this a little bit yesterday. Blessed be the name. Okay, it's a 4-4 song. We've got an anacrusis with one beat, so you can do one wave like that. George would be very happy with that. And um, that's good. It's quite acceptable. Suppose we use the last line of the chorus as our introduction. These four bars would satisfy criteria one and three. So if we use the last four bars, one, two, three, four. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Do we know our pitch? We know how fast we should be going. But what is this song all about? Where does it start? How does it start? Oh, Lord, my God. No, it's not it. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> You've got quite a different motive at the beginning. Oh, praise to him who reigns above. Oh, that's how it goes. By that time, you've lost half the congregation. So I'd suggest in a case like that where the chorus is quite so different to the opening motive that you do a split, if you can, a split introduction. Play the first line if you can somewhere, and if you can hook you up to the last line, you've got both. You've, you've now got solved all criteria, the pitch, the time, tempo, and, and the motive idea. So let's see if it's going to work. So let's just try that, Therese. Thank you. Just play the first line and hook straight into the last line. And we'll see how that goes, okay? Yep. Oh, praise to him who 
Okay, thank you. That works, doesn't it? It might be a little bit jerky, but it, it's, it works. You might be able to get away with that. Could you do that? Try it. You've improved on it. There we go. Cut through now. Beautiful. Look at that. It's short, sharp, shiny, and now we've got everything we need. What are those three things in the introduction? First thing we need to know, we need to identify the song, so we need to know what the opening motive is. We need to set the tempo and get the right key to for the congregation thing. That satisfied that, and I knew that you'd... That you, people out there could work that out, okay? So once you've got the idea, um, you've done those things. But very often, uh, and I say this even at our own church, um, the opening motive is not identified, and I think, how does that start? If you've got visitors or people who don't know the hymn book very well, they're going to have trouble starting. But then, oh, that's the one, yes, I always sing that. So don't forget to identify that. Um, if it's not identified further down, but it's quite different. The verse is quite different to the chorus, isn't it? It's smooth. So that should help you. Split introductions, think about that. Try another one, 268, it is the crowning day. 286, sorry, it's my dyslexic brain. Yes, well, this is, again, two extreme different uh, ideas. Um, we've got 6-4, and that should tell you what sort of timing is it. No. Two. How do we know that? Whenever you've got something, if you've got a 3-4, you can divide it by three, and how, what do you get? You get one. That's not compounded with anything. One means one means one. So the first one you'll get where there's two like that will be a six. Because you know it's a three, four, four, four. You don't have a five, four. You could have a six, four. And if you divide that six by three, you end up with two. So it's compound. You won't have a seven, four or an eight, four, but you can have a nine, four. Divide by three, you get three. That's three counts. You, you won't have a 10-4 or 11-4, but you can have a 12-4. So really anything from 6 and up in those uh, compound times. I think I'm right in saying that. All right, okay, let's see here now. How's our time? We've got enough to do this. It, it is the crowning day. Now, let's look at this. I'll just see what I've written here. Start the introduction on the first four bars of the verse, then add the last four bars of the chorus. Well, that's what we did, did before. Cherie uh, may be able to improve on that. Let's just try what I've said there, the first opening line, and then see if he can hook the last line on. See. fits nicely, doesn't it? It's not jerky, it doesn't suddenly take off think, well, what did she do there? There's two bits. You could think that was one piece of music there, and it's done three things, which is what are the three things we need to do with the introduction? Pianists, please. Sorry? The motive, which gives you the idea of the first opening motive. What else? Sorry? Tempo, thank you. They're all, why have they got all the brains over here? And the third thing? Sorry? Pitch. Yeah, we've got to know which note to start on. So that is success, all right? And so be, be easy on your pianists if they're not doing exactly right over the next few weeks. So, oh, yeah, we've got sharpened up our pencils here. Because um, you'll be next, probably. You'll be next. No, it wouldn't be any problem, would it? Um, <clears throat> okay. So that's... Uh, but notice how different it is because... If you major on the chorus, how are you going to remember, Jesus may come today? See? It's, uh, I was flat, wasn't I? Okay, let's see now. Um, <clears throat> okay. 
introduction must be executed in strict time, but bear in mind we can put that handbrake on at the end and if you really want to stop them, uh, perhaps our brother here would be happy with a little pause at the end, that's fine. Um, and then you all come back together with a full set of lungs full of air. Um, introduction must ex- be executed in strict time. Glory, hallelujah, Christ has made us free. Use the last four bars of the song as introduction. Please note that the fourth to last bar is suggestive, and I, my thinking of opening mode. Let's turn to 617. Yeah, I don't know. You might dis- disagree with me there. Okay. Well, let's try the last, what do I say here? Four bars. Glory, hallelujah, coming soon for me. It's very similar in that you've got the start says, glory, hallelujah, Christ has set me free. The last line says, glory, hallelujah. So that's going to jog your memory. What I'm saying is the last four bars there, or whatever they have in there, are, would suffice. Let's do the last four. And what have we got here? We've got, um, it's 4-4 four, four time, no anacrusis, so preparation beaten down on a normal cross Here's okay, off we go. That's a march, basically. Right. There's the royal banner given for display. If you could march, if the royal banner given for display, probably it's a bit fast. I understand. I'm just saying. So I'm not mocking you. Is it two ends? Of the, there's two ends of the extreme. Yes, that's right. You've got two fasts often, but it, the singing can be very stuffy and dead. No, it's you don't want that. Too no, slow. no, so it's, it's in the song leader's hands to pick it up and. We're trying to help the pianist to make that discretionary call. Hopefully it's what the song leader wants. Um, if you feel like there's something that will drag, it wouldn't hurt five minutes or ten minutes before the service to say, look, this hymn number three, can we just make sure it goes along at a good, brisk parade ground tempo? That's usually faster. They start off, it's easier in a sense for the song leader to just gently speed the song up yeah. and have to try and slow it down. Yes, yes. When you look around, people are going... And they're not getting much noise out, you know, they're just going too fast. <laughs> <laughs> Sir? At the end, you mean? No, at the start, you know, 
Yes. Let me just read this paragraph C and I think it will help you. Hymn endings. It is important that the congregation get a momentary physical and mental break at the end of each verse and chorus, if there is a chorus. What happens too often at churches is the ending is clipped abruptly and the congregation goes for another round of breakneck speed. A careful observer will notice that a significant percentage of the congregation is left behind gasping for air while the fitter ones race off for another lap. People will not be able to sing to their full potential if their lungs are collapsed. In order to get a fresh feeling of air, they need a t- time and an attempt to correct this problem. The following points are given. Now, the song leader has great um, ability to bring the speed up. But it means that your pianist and your orchestra has to be conscious of what he's beating because I've sometimes the song leader wants to bring him up and he's sort of dragging him like, a, you know, where are they? They're sort of lagging behind. But if your pianists are conceived, peripheral vision, you don't need to be staring at him. You could see the movement of his hands while you're looking there and keep be conscious of it and you might say, I think he wants it to go a bit faster because he's sort of, come on now, just a bit quicker, you know? And you can be staying with him and that will bring your congregation up so you don't have to have a stop and an inquest as to why the church is in such a terrible backstage state. You can, you can move it along a bit if you watch what your song leader is doing. And if he's saying it's too fast, the pianist, then the pianist needs to be aware of that too and I've seen that happen both ways. So the song leader is trying to get the sounds out but the pianist is one of those adrenalised moods. I've been there. And it can't hold them. Yes, ma'am. Um, the song leader can they make a statement presently of the thing that he is doing. And sometimes it's not quick enough or slows down. Can they make that statement? Well, you don't have to highlight your pen and say, would you get with this? I don't know how many times I've spoken to you about this in the past. All you've got to say is to the people, let's pick it up a bit on verse 2. That's all. We're so, in all in it together. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, that's it. That's all we need. But if his if his pianist and orchestra was keenly aware of what he's doing, you might find he's trying to slow you down with a beat before he gets the words out. In which case, you do you could be conscious of that, and that'll help that problem. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's good. No, generally speaking, don't reprimand people. Compliment them. Say, boy, you're singing well tonight. Wasn't that a taste of heaven, you know? Well, half of them them are tone deaf probably, but uh, just compliment those that weren't tone deaf. (laughs) Okay, so three points here. The pianist can help by applying that ritenuto, the final cadence, and in particular to the last note of the song. The last note can be repeated at octave intervals to pull it up with a reducing tempo, and this will act as a musical break. The second point is the song leader needs to come closer to the microphone and use his voice to draw the last note out to more than its full value. Remember to use the rising arc of the hook. Now, <clears throat> you don't need to hear your song leader's voice overpowering the congregation all the time. But for getting you started and finishing off, I watched we call Earl Swell. <laughs> he was the uh, assistant pastor at uh, High Street, about 2,500 people on Sunday morning. And a very lovely man, but I was watching him. It's just Mr. Music oozing. And so he'd start them off and had a very nice voice and then he'd step back like this and let them sing and they can hear themselves rather than him dominating this thing over here like this and especially if you've got a bit of a harsh voice and try and get some head tone open up the nasal cavities a bit and home the back of the throat (laughs) rather than singing like this um, open the airways up a bit and see if you can get some head tone because your head will vibrate with the music and that'll help the sound so in theory so um Yes, but I noticed that he would start them off and then once they're going, he steps back and away they go. The 120-voice choir and the orchestra and everything else is going and everybody's singing their hearts out. And, um, and then as he finishes off, he'd come up to the microphone and with his voice, 
he just slowly, quietly reinforce the congregational last note. And it gives the feeling of you wanting to hang on a little longer if you can. So you can take it to extremes and people fall over and that sort of thing. They go blue. <laughs> um, don't forget to take the defibrillator. Um, okay, so that helps. So finally, don't be afraid of moments of silence between the end of the hymn and the beginning of the next verse. Which so we're going to have a break. When you say moment of silence, I assume that's fairly brief. Very brief. Just enough to go and straight in again. I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't try and do that right now. I think that might compound your problems. But if you can get that handbrake on and then start, there'll be other people that will use that moment to go and be right back on start, target again. But try that song is when you when you come towards the end, just just hold the note, not not overpoweringly, but just reinforce it so that you get, that'll helps that break and helps the people just to get ready for the next verse. Okay, yes. So are you saying you do the written intro only on the last verse, or do it at the end of every verse? No, uh, we, we're talking about um, no. Particularly when we talk about introductions, so, but there needs to be, a, a, there is the same principle that you've got to have to let people get air, so not so extreme as in your introduction, but a little bit of a holding out of that last note, and if necessary, people have a pause and then they're ready to go again. It will make a big difference. You basically going through, you sing through the verse and the chorus, of course, and then you just slow it down. Yeah, just a little bit. That little bit of a, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. All right. Good. We'll come back, and I think we will look at the qualities of a good song leader in the notes there. <laughs> 